record myself. Good. I'm recording myself. Hopefully my phone can hear me speak. Hello everyone. Has anyone just come from my last seminar? Yeah, a couple of you have, so apologies. You'll have to have the introductions again. Um, <laughs> I hope you had a nice lunch <laughs> in the meantime. So I'm Kate, those of you who haven't met me. Um, I'm one of the directors of Mind and Soul, so one of the team of four of us who's behind all of that website and all the various bits we do. I'm a psychologist by background. I work with a church in Hitchin in Hertfordshire. I've just come back from spending two years in Paris, though. So, um, but it's totally the same. You know, Paris, London, Hitchin, they're all just... <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. <laughs> but today I want to talk to you about an issue that's very close to my heart. And if you've been browsing the bookstore, you'll have seen that I wrote a, a book about this issue called Refuel. So I would encourage you, if you haven't already gone, have a look, have a look at that. Have a look at this. If you're interested in this seminar, you'll be very interested in the book. Oh, there you are. The chat's waving it for me. Thank you very much. So it's a nice, bright yellow. Uh, when they sent me the, co the cover copies of the cover when I was in Paris, um, it looked less yellow from France. <laughs> Here, you can't miss it, which is really good. So, uh, so yeah, do check that out if you're interested in this. And the reason that I'm so interested in this topic, you'll, you'll hear more about this throughout this session, but it's because it's a very ever-present issue for our society now. So the issue of stress is one that you will hear lots about, you'll read lots about, and you'll probably think lots about yourselves in your own life. I don't know what kind of lives you guys live, but I come to this very much not as somebody who is totally has this stress thing sorted out. So if you think that when I go home from conferences like this, I live a... A blissfully stress-free life where I float around, never ever getting stressed out. Let me tell you, I have two children, I have a husband, I have a cat, I have several different jobs, uh, more sometimes than I think I'm quite aware of. I don't get paid for very many of them, so we have some financial stresses as well. Um, I, I, so I'm a mum, I'm juggling work, I'm juggling you know, life, all of those different things. And I work for a church, and as you'll hear in a minute, um, I think that places a particular challenge on all of us where stress is concerned. But my interest in stress as a psychologist comes from knowing that stress doesn't always automatically have to be about distress. And when we talk about stress in our culture now, we tend to immediately assume that it's a bad thing. But I know as a psychologist that if I want to get the optimum performance out of people in whatever task it is I'm setting them, actually they perform better when they're under a little bit of stress. If they're under too much stress, their performance goes back down again. But the perfect place to be is where we are, actually, challenged by a little bit of pressure, a little bit of stress. So how have we ended up talking about stress so much as though it was distress? And also our attitude to it tends to be very much thinking of stress as something that's a very emotional thing. You think about it, the last time somebody said to you, you know, oh, don't, don't be, why are you so stressed today? Or when my daughter comes up and she says, Mum, stop stressing out. What she means, what, what she means, my daughter is stop shouting at me, usually, that's what she means. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to get her to listen to the whole sentence that I'm saying. But that she means stop shouting. If we talk about someone saying, oh, they're just a bit stressed, we mean there's an emotional distress going on, don't we? They're, they're, they're cross, they're frustrated, maybe they're anxious. But as a psychologist, again, my... The way I think about stress is very different to that. So physiologically speaking, if, if I were to try to explain to you what I mean when I talk about stress, stress is anything in our environment that requires us to, to respond, whether that's a physiological response, so maybe I decide to go straight from here and run a 10K, which I am not doing. But if I did decide to do that, that would be a physiological stress on my body. Partly because there's needs of all that exercise, I need some extra glucose in my blood. Partly because it's totally not used to doing that sort of thing, so it would definitely be a physiological stress. But So there's physical things that place a physical demand on our body. But of course for our brains as well, your brain has to respond and, and change according to what the world around is throwing at it. So your baseline stress level is probably when you're asleep, because your brain is having to do the least then in terms of responding to the environment around it. From the minute your alarm goes off, physiologically, you are under some kind of stress. Not because your day has started, as they sometimes do, with immediate distressing stuff that you're having to deal with, hopefully, but just because immediately your brain is having to line up a series of different objectives that it's got to do. You've got to manage different tasks and challenges. You have to make some decisions about 
whether you want a cup of tea or a cup of coffee first, will you have your shower before you have your cup of tea? Has anybody made you a cup of tea yet? So all these things that your brain's having to do are stressful for your brain. So when I talk about stress, I'm talking about demand that's placed on your brain or your body. I'm not necessarily saying that it's negative. What we need to know about our stress system is that it's designed and it's really good at dealing with sort of acute short-term crises. So when you encounter something that is stressful, something that requires you to adjust or change, it makes use of a, a network of nerves and hormones and all these sorts of things which are absolutely designed to manage short-term crises. So, you know, I love this picture of the guy innocently paddling away. And you want to do the Jaws music behind him, don't you? <laughs> so, in that moment, if he were to turn around and see that shadow behind him, his stress system would immediately click into action. And your body is fantastic at dealing with this, as is your brain. So, changes that would happen that would immediately flood his body with different hormones and chemicals, changes in the way his brain is activated, changes right down at a level of how good he is at perceiving certain sounds, or changes in the environment around him, for him probably ripples in the water, your whole body changes in terms of its perception. And it's really good at managing whatever that is. The thing is, the same system is turned on, whether it's a shark behind you in the water, which is not that common in London on the average Saturday, or whether it is that your daughter has just come in and started yelling at you. Because in a physiological sense, it's using the same system to manage it. So your stress system is all about getting you ready to respond. And if we talk about what our emotions are designed for in a wider sense. Their job is to make sure that you're ready. So their job, if your brain detects that there are things going on in the world around you that might require response, it switches on emotions to do various things that are about making sure that you're ready to respond. So they are about grabbing your attention, making sure that you notice something's going on. They are about physically changing your body so that you're ready to do, you'll have heard of fight or flight that you're ready to either fight something or run away, should you need to. So our emotions and our stress system make sure that whatever life throws at us, we are ready to respond to it. And again, it does that very well. The problem is, is that our life in the 21st century is a bit more complex than one which is just about, is there a shark behind us in the water? Or like I say, if you went out of here from the conference today, and on your way to Hammersmith Tube Station, a bear jumped out from behind a lamppost at you, which is also unlikely in London, although I think most things are possible, um, your stress system would handle that really well. But the same system is used for managing some of the social stresses that we experience. So as human beings, one of the amazing things about how we're made is that we have this wonderfully complex social network around us. And we are designed as very social creatures. But that means that we experience a lot more stress than, say, your average neighbourhood cat. Although they do have some social stuff to deal with, I think it's a little more basic. So, and in our 21st century, of course, with social media and with developments in that, this has become even more complex. So as humans, we crave social input. We crave this sort of social contact, but we also experience stress as a result of it because it requires us to balance more things. So the more complex your social world is, the more stress you will experience day to day. That's just the way it goes. The other thing that we do as human beings, which is relevant, of course, is that we have this great idea, instead of just managing the stress of what's happening here and now in the present, we, like this chap who, those of you who've got kids still in this range will recognise as Mr. Good or Mr. Worry, we like to experience stress for stuff that hasn't yet happened and may never happen. The Tolkien fans in the room will, will remember the mirror of Galadriel, which shows you things that, that, that may never come to pass. And, and that's what we do as humans. We spend most of our lives worrying and being stressed by things that actually will never, ever happen. If you look at research into what people worry about, it's a very low percentage of those things that ever actually happen. So we do live this life where we experience more stress, and, and therefore we have the consequences of that to deal with. So the first take-home message of this session, I think, is a really important one. It's important to start from a place where you understand what I'm talking about. And you need to understand that stress is not something that's optional. But we do talk about that, don't we? And very often, if you have ever struggled with stress or you've had to take time off work because of stress, people act like it's your fault. Maybe it's a weakness of yours. But stress is very real. It's a physical reality. It's not something that's all in your mind. And it is unavoidable as well. It's not something that you can be clever and therefore get out of. 
You may be in an environment where life is particularly stressful for you. And if that's the case, obviously you're going to experience more stress than some other people. So they may well be able to say to you, I want to shame you, I'm a bit stressed out, but it may just be that they're doing less. The second thing that we need to know is that stress is not a sign of weakness. If you are struggling with stress, just, just take that one thing and say, this is not a sign that you are weak or deficient or that there's anything wrong with you as a human being. What it is a sign of is that you are a human, and that's a good thing. So we need to be aware in the way that we, deal with hum- that we deal with stress that it's just a sign of our humanity, and that it isn't a weakness, it's not a negative thing. And we'll talk more about that later. So, I don't know what your stress levels are like here today. Hopefully we haven't stressed you out too much, you know, confidence, remembering where you're supposed to be, finding lunch getting through the queue to the toilets before your next seminar starts, and those things can be a little bit stressful, particularly if you're the person leading the seminar. Although I always think at least you can't miss your seminar if you're the person who's speaking at it. But if you imagine your stress level, I like to talk about it as being a bit like the level of water in a pool, so like in this image. Ideally, your baseline stress level like this is somewhere around your ankles. So when I talk about this level, I'm talking about a hormonal thing, I'm talking about the level of certain real physical hormones in your body, I'm also talking about the level of emotional stress that you're carrying. But remember, this is a real thing. So if you imagine that to be represented by this level of water, what happens as we go through the day, through our week, is that, of course, the water level goes up and down. Sometimes things, you know, you're late for a bus, you have a bit of stress. Sometimes you're having a calm, quiet coffee, and hopefully your stress levels are lower. We all have, somewhere, a crisis point. If stress gets above a certain level, it will start to exceed our capacity to manage it either physically or emotionally. And we need to remember that some of this comes from the fact that our stresses are not acute, short-term things. They're often long-term things. They're not as manageable as simple things that where the bear's gone away or we've gone away from the bear, our stress levels can fall back down again. The kind of stress that we manage in our society today is, is of a very different nature. But it will so exceed the, level, the way your body was designed to cope with it. So these changes that you see physiologically as a result of stress are fine in the short term. But if you start to see those same changes happening over the longer term, your body and your brain are just not designed to manage with that kind of high-level, long-term stress. So we all have a crisis point, either because in the short term it's got too much or because in the long term it's starting to have an impact on us. This, this is what I think happens to some of us where you just have a really bad day. And I don't know if anybody's ever felt like this. You know those days where it just feels from the beginning to the end that things just keep happening. You know, it's like everything in your life has ganged up against you and decided to hit you in one day. Your children, your work, the traffic, everything. And you you just go from one thing to another throughout the day. You never get a chance to wind down. Because the minute you finish dealing with something else, the next thing has hit you. And what happens in those days is that your stress water level is just gradually going up. And sometimes it goes over your head. By the end of the day, you know, if you're the unfortunate person who at the end of the day comes, you know, like my, my husband did this the other day and it was only lunchtime. It was after, after a morning at church, obviously a stress-free environment. And he just, he, just, he just came up to me in the middle of the coffee time, and, and he knew I had some stuff that I was doing for work for church that afternoon. And he just came, he was like this behind the person I was talking to. So eventually I managed to and said, yes, what is it? He said, what's for lunch? And I'm afraid I slightly lost it. I said, what do you mean, what's for lunch? Look in the fridge. He said, but what did you buy for lunch? <laughs> and this is one of those moments where I'm like, I'm, do I have time and space to deal with the fact that you need feeding? No, I don't. And so th- I was over the top in just in that moment. If he just, if he caught me just five minutes after I'd had enough time to breathe, maybe catch a mouthful of coffee, he would have had a much better response. And he did later on when I phoned him and said, actually, I think there's a picture in the fridge. But anyway, when you're in that position and it's just over your head, you feel very much the impact of your stress in the short term. And I think we will all have had experiences of bad days like that. Another thing that can happen with stress is like this picture. This is like you're going, you're walking along, you're minding your own business, it's been a normal day. And then almost out of nowhere, you're hit by a massive stress wave. So this may be that something in your life unpredictable happens. You know, um, the, the phone rings and, and it's one of your kids' school. Or, or you know, I, I remember my dad once phoning me um, when I was working in the hospital. And I, you kind of you don't have a signal there. So <clears throat> I kept picking up all these messages from him. He was saying, phone me, it's urgent, it's urgent, it's urgent. And I couldn't, whenever I tried, I couldn't get through to him. And oh, it was 
This was a massive stress wave. I was, you know, convinced my mother had had a stroke or something bad had definitely happened. It was like a massive stress wave. And I was trying to manage the rest of my day, but all my head was thinking about this thing that was going on. Incidentally, when I finally got hold of him later, he wanted to know if they, if they sold streaky, streaky bacon in my branch of Sainsbury's. <laughs> yeah, that's retirement for you, those of you who retire. Watch out for that. It was very important to him. <laughs> But sometimes you're hit by a real stress wave. You know, maybe you do get bad news, or maybe something's happening, or maybe you've encountered something in work or at home that is a huge wave. And in that moment, we can all find that it exceeds our capacity to cope, because we are all human. And no matter how much you think this won't happen to you, if life has taught me anything, it is that as you go through life, that happens. I said in the last session, if the parable of the guy who builds his house on the rock and the guy who builds his house on the sand, if that teaches us anything, it teaches us that whatever we do and whoever we are, storms will come in life. So we will all have phases where we find ourselves having to manage stuff that we never thought we'd have to manage and that may exceed our capacity to cope with it. When these things happen, sometimes... In spite of our best intentions, what we end up doing is like this guy. We're basically we're having to carry on regardless. Because life doesn't stop, does it? When that stress wave hits you, when something huge is going on at work or at home, the things in the other areas of your life that you are responsible for, that you have to manage, they don't just go away. If I've had a lousy day at work, my son still wants to tell me about his day at school. If my daughter's having a tough time at school, my work still needs to be dealt with. These things don't just go away. So we have to carry on. And what happens for a lot of us is that we've got to the point where our natural baseline level has actually gradually started to rise. So we've got so used to being stressed, we've got so used to managing things, and our lives have become so complicated that actually there is never a time when our water level drops back down. And we are living life constantly with the water level maybe at waist level maybe a bit higher up at the shoulders, maybe it's at the neck level, maybe for some of us we're very aware right now today that it's over our heads, that we are, we're, we're drowning. And when you get to that place, your capacity to manage is stretched to the absolute limits. And you may well feel that you are very close to going under. You may feel like you are going under. That's the reality of, of being human. We have limits. And when our stress exceeds them for whatever reason, we struggle. So I want to take a, an aside briefly to think about what the Bible says because it's, it's an interesting question to, to come to stress as the church and to think, well, what does the church have to input into this topic? And as you'll see in a minute, I think that stress is a very important topic for the church to consider, but let's just stop for a bit and think, well, what does the Bible have to say about it? And the first thing to say is that if you are struggling with stress and burnout or if you know people who are, you're in great company. Some of the biggest characters in the Bible are people who, at some point in their time, their ministry, struggled in some way with stress, either because they made lousy judgments in the heat of the moment, or because they suffered with burnout. So if you think about, um, this is Elijah on the, the top of the mountain um, with the prophets of Baal. I love this. It's like an Indiana Jones script. I love this story. Um, you know, he's, he is a prophet. He's pretty impressive. You know, if you're rating your sort of minor and major prophets, he's got to come up there. They're, all the rest of them have been killed. He's basically the only one left. And he has to come to this great mountain showdown with all the bad guys. And he has to sort of prove his worth. It's a little bit of a step over your average Sunday morning service. But he's up to it. He totally does it. And he pulls off this amazing victory. Um, in spite of all of the, the odds being against him, he pulls it off. And so then he comes down, and you'd think, coming out of that, he'd be totally on a high, he'd be buzzing, and then what happens is he gets home, and he's totally flawed. Remember this guy who's faced hundreds of bad prophet people, you know, making strange noises and doing scary things, and he's flawed by a letter. It's so strange, if you look at it, he gets one letter threatening his life, and he totally folds. He runs away, he ends up hiding under a bush saying he wants to die. What happened? How can this that be the same person, the same man who stood on the mountain pulling off his victories, the same guy who ends up underneath a bush? And he is the same guy. He's, he's a guy who was under a huge amount of stress, and, and it got too much. And that little thing, which was the thing that pushed him over, that exceeded his capacity to cope. But he's still a great prophet, and he went on to do more good stuff. So the fact that he suffered with stress didn't make him any less. It didn't make his ministry any less. 
It didn't make him any less of a spiritual giant. It was just part of his humanity and part of who he was. And if you read the story, and if you read my book, um, I'd, I'd go into this in much more detail, we can see from the way that God dealt with him that he didn't see it as a huge negative either. There was no telling him off, no telling him to get a grip, don't be so stressed. He, the way he dealt with it was, was recognising that this was okay for him to have struggled like this. This is a human thing to sometimes have these struggles. And one of the things that the Bible does teach us, which is very relevant, is uh, one, of, one of the most exciting things, I think, about the way that humans are created, and that's as a psychologist and as a theologian. And it's one of the first things we find out in when the whole world of Earth is created, is that we alone are created in this one special way compared to everything else, and that is what Genesis 1.26 says. And it says that we are created in the image of God. This is the message version, because I love the way it puts it. But it says that God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature. And what that means to me as a psychologist, but as a church leader and all those roles, is that when I look at all of you guys, I don't just see humans. Because every single one of you reflects something of the nature of God. And that's the incredible thing about humans, is no matter how messed up we are, no matter how much we get stuff wrong, no matter how imperfect we are, we are a reflection of God. And that's amazing, and it's very exciting. But it also tells us something about these issues around stress and energy. Because we know that when God created the world, we see in Genesis 2, 1, we see this very important statement that when God had finished the work he'd been doing on the seventh day, he rested. And this rhythm of work and of rest is built in, from the, literally from the very beginning of the Bible, it's built into God's nature and it's built into our nature as people who were created in the image of God. And there's a balance between those two things, isn't there? So our response to stress should not be that we think, ah, run scared from it, let's not do any work, I better not say yes to any projects at church in case I get stressed, because that would be really bad. Because it's about balance. It is about work and it's about rest. At the same time, we have to make sure that we do have time to, to give to have a healthy respect for stress and to recognise that we do have needs where this is concerned. And you see this right from the start. It's, it's like God knows that this is going to be the big weakness of humans. From the very start, he's saying to them, he's having to tell them and remind them about this thing that is built into their nature. So you see in the commandments, remember to observe the Sabbath day, keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your work, but the seventh is a day of rest. Now, in the commandments, we could play the, the game so loved by people leading children's groups in church and try and come up with all ten commandments, but, you know, we're time limited, so we won't. But, you know, this one is quite high up. Go and look. It's not like number ten. It's not an afterthought. It's before some quite significant things. So when we forget about it and think, ah, oh, well, rest, you know, what, that's, what's that about? You know, rest is for wimps. I hear that said a lot in church. No, actually, it's quite high in the list of things that we're supposed to remember as being important. So, so let's just let's remember that. And you see God again, right from the start, this is really the only one that he's constantly coming back to and saying, no, no, did you hear that? So in Exodus 31, after he's given them a huge amount of work to do, interestingly, he says straight away, but you must continue to observe the Sabbath. So it's like the reason that you're very busy is not an excuse not to do this. This is important. This is the weakness of humans that with lots to do, we will then stop doing the one thing that we need to do in order to keep us going. Again, you get the message in Exodus 34, saying that you must do your work in six days, rest on the seventh, even during the seasons for plowing and harvest. So again, it's like God is recognising this basic inherent weakness in humans, that when we're busy, we might just forget about the fact that we're human and we need to rest. So did you know that actually you are not superhuman? Did you know that actually you have limits? Most of the people who come to see me for reasons related to stress and burnout, do you know, honestly, I'll share a secret with you, they would like to be superhuman. Um, and I, when I say, do you know that you're not superhuman, do you know, they're actually mostly quite disappointed. Some of them even argue with me. I've had actual arguments over this statement. But you're not superhuman, and you are governed by the limits of your humanity. That's the reality of it. And do you know somebody, somebody else who was with Jesus? Even Jesus rested... Jesus, who for a psychologist is, well, for anyone, is super exciting, but particularly for a psychologist, because this is, this is God in the body and brain that he designed. 
So I get very excited about looking at the way that Jesus managed things. But even Jesus rested, and you see even with him this almost this slight battle of trying to manage to fit in the rest alongside the other things. So he falls asleep in some inconvenient places, in a boat, for example, in a storm. We've all, we've all felt like that when we need to catch up on some rest. And if you look in the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus and his disciples took time out regularly. Jesus is actually on top on his disciples' case about it. There's a particular time when they haven't eaten because they've been so busy. And he tells them off. He says, no, no, you've got to remember to fit in time to eat, time to pray, time to rest. Interestingly, particularly time to process their own emotions. So Jesus, when he hears the death of John the Baptist, the first thing he does is withdraw. Because even Jesus needed some headspace sometimes. And so do you. Sometimes when the world is throwing stuff at you, you also need some headspace. It doesn't matter what, how brilliant you are as a church leader or a youth worker or as a mum or dad or whatever it is you're doing. Everybody sometimes needs some space. So recognise that being stressed is not a sin. But it is interesting, isn't it, that failing to rest is. Rest is a commandment. We're told to do it. It's not an optional extra. It's not a for best results. It's a commandment that we're told to do. That's how key it is to the way that we were designed as human beings. Now, I know that you guys, if you push the limits on this stuff, and I, I push the limits all the time, the reason we do it is from a good place. It's because we're passionate people. And I love that. I think that God breeds a very particular sort of passion in people's hearts. And you're here, I mean, you're here on a conference on a Saturday, for goodness sake, so you're all clearly passionate about something, otherwise you'd be at home with your feet up. But when you come on these kind of conferences, it's amazing and it's inspiring because you meet so many passionate people. And it's particularly inspiring because it's not just human passion. There's something of God in that. God stirs up this passion in us. We, don't, we talk about, don't we, fanning into flame the gift of God that's in us. And that's because God lights a fire in us. And we really, we want to do stuff. We're passionate about doing it. Paul was a very passionate guy. I think he would have, he would have been on the, on the same line as the rest of us. I love what he says. That this is how he lived his life. You know, don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. This is how he lived his life. I remember my daughter, uh, the, the first, the first sports day, she must have been like six, I think, the first sports day that my husband was able to get to because he's a lawyer, so he, has to, he struggles a lot with getting out of work and stuff. But he managed to get there. But the height of his day, and something he'd been thinking about for a long time, was, of course, the much thought about mummy's and daddy's race. In her school, split into the mummy's race and then the daddy's race. I, I don't run in it because for many very sensible reasons. But he was like, no, 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 ha ha. I'm going to represent our daughter today. <laughs> He's quite a high-achieving man, my husband. So the moment came. And the mum's race is very, you know, where it's all very jolly. It's a bit of a laugh. I mean, it's easy for me. I don't do it. There's some very fast people who win, and the rest of the people sort of run past looking like, the dad's race. You suddenly turn and look, and they're all like this. And honestly, each one of them thought they were in an Olympic final. I've never seen anything like it. As they ran past, the, as they ran past the the floor actually moved, the field. That's how they're just a thud of their feet, really pushing it to the limit. And all I remember is my husband, who anybody's met him, he's quite small. He's not much taller than me, and he's he's very slight. He's he's very sporty, but he's not really sort of strong. He's not sort of powerfully built, shall we say? And I just remember the look of, of sort of faint alarm on his face as he ran past me like this. Oh my goodness! And he he did very well, but he had to try quite hard. He slightly pulled a muscle. Anyway, <laughs> what was really funny was at the end of it, when when my daughter came up, we went to collect her, and he was so sorry, oh, did you see me, did you see me, darling, I was in the daddy's race? She said, yes. And he said, oh, did you see me? He said, yes, you didn't win. <laughs> so he, desperately clawing at this parenting truth that we know is true, said, but it's not about the winning, it's about <laughs> taking part. She just she said, nonsense. <laughs> now my daughter will love Paul when she gets to meet him in heaven one day because she, as far as she's concerned, if you're running a race, you run as though to get the prize. There is no other point in doing it. She's very driven. She's a real perfectionist. Right from when she was a toddler, she used to, you know, she'd line everything up. She's just that sort of person. She inherits a lot of it from her dad, which is why it's so entertaining to me. But this is what Paul is like. This is what he says about our life. He says we have to take our everyday, ordinary life and we place it before God as an offering. He is, he's giving everything of his. 
in his ministry and what he feels God is calling him to, he's wholehearted. I love that about Paul. I love it about my daughter. He says, love from the centre of who you are, not just a little bit, not just in your spare time, but from everything about who you are should be about loving other people. And this is a, a verse that, if you read the book, you'll, you'll hear is really the basis of the book I wrote. Um, it's in Romans 12, which is a fantastic chapter. The whole of Romans is, is awesome, but this is a great chapter. He was definitely on a roll when he wrote this one. But he says this, and I think this verse illustrates to us the challenge, particularly as Christians, of stress and burnout in our society. And he says this, this is the NIV. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Now, I don't know about you, but there are some words in that passage that I don't use in my everyday speech. Zeal, for example. I, I haven't recently told my children they need to be more zealous. Uh, and fervor is not one that comes up very much. I like to read many different versions of the Bible. I've just come back from France, so I've spent two years living in another language. And I have experienced at first hand what happens if you're trying to translate from one language to another, when you sometimes lose the gist of what you were trying to say. So that has, has again reminded me that when we read the Bible, we're not reading in its original language. So it's good sometimes to look at different translations to understand more fully what a passage is saying. So this is interesting. This is the CEV, Contemporary English Version. I like this very much because this, my, my daughter would somewhat, somewhat wearily tell you, is one of my life rules for our family, is that you should never hesitate to be enthusiastic. This is what I'm looking for from my children when I tell them that we have to drive from Paris to Hitchin, that we're moving back to England. I'm looking for enthusiasm. I'm not looking for how long will it take and, and things like that, but will I have a bigger room there than I have here? No, this is not what I'm looking for. I want enthusiasm. This is what I'm looking for as a church leader when I'm trying to explain to our church why it's a good thing that we uh, need 10 more children's leaders uh, in, the, in the next week or the children's group will have to stop. I want enthusiastic responses. And so I like this very much. Always be enthusiastic. This is the NLT. This is a bit of a surprise. If you look, it says, never be lazy. Well, that's slightly alarming and, and new. I, I didn't think it was talking about being lazy. I don't think I'm lazy, but I'm a bit anxious when I hear that. And I think, gosh, serve the Lord enthusiastically. This one feels a bit more like it might be a little bit of a potential telling off. And then you look in the message and suddenly it says, don't burn out. You think, well, where did that come from? I'm so busy trying to be enthusiastic and not be lazy, and now suddenly you're telling me I'm not allowed to burn out. How can this one passage be telling us all these things? And if you look at the original language, this is the RSV. I have a theologian friend who works in our church, and he says that if in doubt, you should always go to the RSV, which the theologians amongst you will, you will know about. So, you know, Brendan, this is for you. This is from the RSV. And then what this verse does is it contrasts two concepts. And the first one is this one, and it's a, it's a word which talks about losing your zeal, losing your energy, losing your driving force. And in some contexts in the Bible, that can be because of laziness. But actually, in this context, I don't think that that's what it is. So I think the translation that talks about being lazy, I think I've slightly missed it personally. What this is about usually is about losing your energy because of just being worn out, basically. It's about, it's about pushing it too fast and running out of energy. So it says, never do that. Keep your energy going, basically. And it contrasts it saying, instead what we should do is be a glow. Now, this is the word that it's talking about, being on fire, burning brightly for God. So this verse is saying that absolutely that passion is a good thing. But at the same time as having that passion and, and it being very much fueled by the Holy Spirit, we have to be aware that as humans we have limits. And this verse reminds us that we must not burn out too soon. So our challenge as, as Christians and as humans, I think, is to push the limits. I think this is a very godly thing to do. Run as though you were going for the prize. We only get to do this life once, and we want to do the best we can do for God while we're here. But at the same time, we have to recognise that we're human beings, and we mustn't push it too far. Because I know that in my ministry, ultimately, I'm no use to anyone if in two years' time I've burnt out and I'm exhausted at home. To be able to be really effective in this, I need to be doing it for the long run. And so do all of you guys. And that's what this verse is talking about. So actually, we're called to be all out for God, but we're not called to be burned out for God. And the reason I say that is because more than once I've been in different churches or conferences or whatever, where sometimes some quite esteemed people, I won't name names, but I have heard 
caught in the enthusiasm of the moment, stand at the front of the room and shout, I want to burn out for God. And everybody goes, yeah. And I go, no. <laughs> I did actually do that once in a service. It was quite embarrassing. I didn't mean to. But the thing is, I know where that comes from. It's passion, and that's a really good thing. And I know what those people mean. They, they, they're so passionate about what they do. They're so fueled by the Holy Spirit. They just want to push the limits to the absolute max. But we're not called to burn out, and that is not a good thing. And in the church, in our volunteering, in our ministry, those of us who are in leadership, we have to be very careful that we don't end up sort of putting this up as a bit of a, of a, a false success thing. That, you know, you're not successful if you're not exhausted. You're not successful if you're not on the edge of burnout all the time. That's not a biblical concept. Of course, push the limits, but we're not called out to burn out. In fact, quite the opposite. What we're called to do is to balance things. But as people in the church, we don't just have work-life balance. Oh, I wish that my life was that simple when I hear my non-Christian friends and my family talking about work-life balance. I think, if only it was just those two things. Because we have so much more to juggle. We have work, we have life, we have our faith, our passion, our ministry, church. Most people who I meet at these conferences are not only working in their careers, they often have families and various demands, either of children or of older parents or whatever it is, they're usually volunteering. They're usually volunteering in more than one thing. They're very often doing, you know, the youth ministry. They're also doing like a soup kitchen and they also preach a bit in their spare time or whatever it is. As Christians, we're really good at pushing the limits. But I think sometimes we are not so good at remembering that we're human. And we need to remember that we are human and that we do have these limits. And the more that you're juggling, the more you need to be careful of that. Because actually, when you take God into your heart, this is not what happens. You know, when that verse talks about you have the light of the light in your precious jar of clay that Will was quoting, this is not what it means that you become like some super person with an inner power that means that you scoff at all stress and burnout. No, even Jesus had to rest. That's how it works. And the more you want to do, the more important this is. So if you don't want to do less, then it's really important that you get good at doing rest. I want to push the limits. So if I don't take care of myself and my own, my own genuine limits, then I will end up exhausted. I will not be able to be effective in what I'm doing. If I was doing that, it wouldn't be such an issue. But at the same time, I, I, I don't think I should be doing that. Honestly, no. I think it's great that I do all the things I do. I'd like to do more, really. And I, a lot of the people I work with for stress and burnout have been told that what they need to do is stop doing so much. You can't do it. Drop out of that. You can't do this ministry quit that, leave that job, it's too much for you. And I think that's a real shame because some of us are called to these things and I've seen people who have felt that pull between their passion and their calling and, and their issues with stress and who have felt that the only message that they are given is that they can't do the thing that they feel their life is all about. And that is not life in all of its fullness. It's not what God calls us to live. So actually what we need to do is not run away from the stress but just get a whole lot better at managing it. And for some of us, that might mean some personal investigation, some in-depth time, maybe working with some professionals to understand why we are perhaps more prone to struggling with stress than other people. It's more likely that it will also involve us making some good decisions about the way we do life and some of the boundaries that we have in our lives. The other thing that it's likely to involve, though, is a challenge of our culture. Because the reality is now is that we live in a culture which does not give us a good message about stress. There is not a good message of balance in our culture. If you look at the levels that people are working at, the 24-7 nature of it, the challenge to, to always be in contact. You know, my husband is a, is a lawyer in the city here. and you know, Remember when he, yeah, I mean, 15 years ago now, when he got his first Blackberry, he was very excited. He got his first iPhone the other day, because they just changed the iPhones. He's even more excited than he was with his Blackberry. I catch him at like 3 in the morning dictating things into it. It's driving me crazy. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he was very excited by his Blackberry, because he said to me, he said, but this is great, because I can be contactable all the time. And I was like, yes, but you can be contactable all the time. And you know, when, uh, when in my daughter's room, in Pride of Place, stuff on her wall, she has a big sign, and it says, no Blackberries. And she'd now written all iPhones underneath it. <laughs> because she, even she got so fed up with this, you'd be in the middle of a conversation and you'd hear that tap, 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 and he's got the blasted blackberry out. Sometimes we call it something else, but also begins to beat. Anyway, we have to challenge our culture. And I said in the last second.
session, and I find as I, I speak on a lot of different topics, but I end up coming back to the same verses again and again. And this again is Romans 12 as well. I said it's a good chapter. But I think this, this verse is, is really key to where we are in our society right now, that as Christians we are called to challenge the culture that we live in. We're not called to fit into it without thinking. We're called to focus on God. Just because our culture tells us one thing doesn't mean that's the right way to go. And where your emotional health is, is, is considered, where stress is considered, that's very much the case. Here's another interesting area that I think we need to put some thought into, that maybe we need to challenge some, some basic norms of our society. And, and this is sleep. And I could do a whole other session on sleep. Um, and, you know, maybe in a future conference we will do a whole other session, because I know Rob, my psychiatrist friend, has some interesting insights about sleep to add. But I, I, have, I have a message about sleep that is very complex. Would you like to hear the complex message about sleep? It is, get some. <laughs> now, having said that, it's something I find surprisingly hard to do. Um, and I am very aware that the vast majority of weeks I feel like I'm fighting a losing battle against, in my own efforts, to just get myself into bed at a sensible hour and go to sleep. And that's not because I have any particular problems at the moment with insomnia or anything. It's just because I'm not there. Did you know that is the most common reason that people don't get enough sleep? We spend all this time talking about insomnia and stuff, which is a very real problem. But the vast majority of people don't get enough sleep simply because they are not spending enough time in bed. And you know how it is. You have good plans. You think, tonight I'm going to stop doing emails. I'm going to have a nice, you know, relaxing cup of tea, herbal. And I'm going to watch this program. I'm going to have a nice hot bath and I'm going to bed. I should be in bed by 10 o'clock. And then at about quarter past 10, we think, oh gosh, I'm already running late. You become absolutely mesmerised by some important documentary on the history of the umbrella or something. <laughs> Before you know it, you've watched like 45 minutes of it and it's all gone to pot. We've all done it. So the, this is the biggest issue with sleep, is actually getting yourself to bed. Having said that, those of you who do struggle with sleep, either because you are struggling yourself to get to sleep, this is a very common problem, and again, it's something I get a lot of referrals for, or because you have other things in your life that are stopping you sleep, those of you who have small children, or um, if there's noise is an issue where you are. These are things to deal with, and sleep is something to prioritise. In terms of sleep, sleep is, a, is, your, is one of the natural things built into your rhythm, where when you are asleep, those levels drop back down. So one of the things, if, we, if anybody's ever had concerns about blood pressure, one of the things that we used to do but don't do so much now is monitor your blood pressure for 24 hours. And one of the things that we're looking for is, does it drop overnight? Because normally your blood pressure should drop to a, a, a lower baseline when you're asleep. But for a lot of people now, it doesn't. And some people you see very little drop overnight, either because they're not sleeping for long enough or the sleep isn't of good enough quality or just because of some of the physiological things that are going on. So sleep is very important. It's important for your brain, and it's important for your body. And we, we joke about it, but if, if we are doing this, if we are burning the candle not just at both ends, but all in the middle and extra bits around the side, we will struggle. And one thing I know that predicts people who will have more significant problems, whether it's with emotional issues or whether it's with stress, is how well are they sleeping? And it's something I always ask very early on. How are you sleeping? Because the people who say, actually, I'm not really sleeping, I'm really struggling, I know that they have a bigger chance of struggling with some of these issues because sleep is, is a, one of the natural things that helps us. So if you are having issues with sleep, for whatever reason, or if you know someone who is, this needs to be a priority. And I have a, a whole little soapbox that I could go on for another half hour about um, how important it is that we teach our children and young people to sleep well as well. If you talk to teenagers, they don't sleep at all well these days, and very often they have never been taught how to sleep well, how to have good, clear boundaries around sleep time. We know that one of the pieces of research that's come out very recently, actually, one of the strongest indicators of whether a young person will struggle emotionally is are they on social media in the middle of the night? Young people are not switching off properly. They really are. To us, it seems ridiculous at three in the morning that you might be there checking your Facebook. But this is the level of activity that they have in their stress system. They are not switching off, even at night. And they are constantly, therefore, under this background stress of their social world. And if their social world becomes unpleasant for any reason, if there is any bullying or, let's face it, just the normal friendship disputes and things that come around in teenage years, this is now 24-7. They don't get away from it, even at night. 
So sleep is a very important thing for us to think about. And it's, it's something to think about for your own life as well as for the lives of people you're working with. So I keep having to stroll back over here very casually because there's no clock in here. None of these rooms have any clocks. This church must be, I said in my last, I think this whole church is outside of the time-space continuum. Because clearly they don't have to worry about time. In our church, we have a very large clock directly opposite the person preaching. It's very important. Maybe that's just the preachers in our church. We do widely ignore it. Anyway, anyway, another thing that's important to consider is the role of relationships in our life. So if you are struggling with stress, sometimes it's caused by your relationships, but very often it's your relationships that then suffer. So particularly if your stress is from somewhere outside your home life, the chances are that where impact is most felt is in your home life, in the relationships of those who are nearest and dearest to you. And many people who I've encountered would say, oh, I don't have a problem with stress. They'd say, actually, I love it. You know, I love the adrenaline rush. It's, it's what I do. You know. And there are people who themselves don't, they prefer to, to, be, to be very activated, to have lots going on, who find stress quite energising. My husband would definitely be one of those people. If we ever have to leave to come into London and we're on the same train, it doesn't happen that often, but sometimes it does, I leave the house about 15 minutes before my husband because I like, ideally, to be sitting on the platform at least five minutes before the train is due so that I know I'm there, any problems I've encountered, I have time to deal with, it's all fine, I like to see the train coming in and I get on. My husband will always arrive, I'm sitting on the train, you know when it starts beeping because the doors are closing? At that point, I see him at the top of the stairs. And he's running, his coat's flailing out behind him. He's usually got toast in one hand and a drink in the other. And he's, he's running down the stairs. And he skids in just as the door's shut. And he's like, oh, no, he sits out next to me. This is how it goes between us. He loves stress. There is nothing more exciting for my husband than being late for an aeroplane. <laughs> this is just the most exciting. Oh, so great, we might miss it. And I'm like, we might miss it. Um, some people love it. The thing is, if you're one of those people, you have to be a lot more careful because the people who might hit the downsides of your loving stress are your family. You either might not love it, or because actually you might not be as smiley and pleasant as you think you are all the time when you're under that stress. So be careful. Your relationships may suffer, even if you don't. Incidentally, people who do live like that, they have to be even more careful because their rate of physical health problems later on in life as a result of their high-stress lifestyle are higher. So if we, you know, we used to talk about type A personality. Some of you would have read stuff about that. It's gone slightly out of favour in terms of language. But it is true. I read a, a very interesting book that said that if you look in the... They were saying that he looked, this guy who's a professor of cardiology, that he looked out into his car park one day and he was running one of his cardiology clinics. And he said every single car had been reversed into the space so they could get out as quickly as possible. And he was saying, this is, this is the sort of people I work with. They're all type A. They want to be at the next thing as soon as possible. They live jam-packed lives. If that's the way we live and we don't do enough resting, then we may see the physical consequences of it later in life. I'm getting time signal. I know. <laughs> the other reason that we have to be careful about relationships is that they're very key to the way we were designed. So right at the beginning of Genesis, the other interesting thing we see about humans is that we're not ever designed to do this on our own. You are designed to live in community. And if you're so stressed that you're not managing to put time into your relationships, then you're going to end up isolated. And that isn't the way it's supposed to be. So things immediately get harder. Again, like not sleeping. I know that if people are becoming, if they're becoming isolated, if they are struggling with their relationships, they are more likely to struggle with stress. What we see as well in the Bible, looking to Jesus as a model, is not just relationships with our other humans that are important, but of course our relationship with God. And Jesus, Jesus had this incredible connection with God through the Trinity, which is you know, long and complex and amazing, and yet still had to withdraw for prayer, to take time to specifically and deliberately connect with his Father. And we who don't have that wonderful Trinity thing going on in quite the same way also need to do that. And it's amazing if you work in church, you might spend your whole time in church doing ministry, but not have time to connect with God properly. It's weird how that happens. So we have to be even more careful, because the people who come to us, that's what they need of us, is that we are connected with God. They don't come to us because they think we're brilliant on our own. They come to us because they're looking for something greater than us. So we have to be even more careful about that. And this is why I want to ask us in the church, do we need to look at how we refuel? Do we need to look at the balance between the drive 
and re-energising? Do we need to think about how are we energising the work that we do? Have we got that balance right? Are we pushing it too hard? Are we not resting enough? Are we at risk of burnout? And there's no shame like Elijah with hitting things sometimes where you've got that balance wrong. The thing is, is to learn from it for the next time because that's what ministry is. Ministry is not about always getting things right and being perfect from the very start. Yeah, everyone's like, no, it definitely isn't. It's about picking yourself up when you've done it wrong, learning from it for the next time. And that's why as you get older and wiser in ministry, hopefully you, you have more things to share with people. It's not because you've got clever, it's just because you've messed up more times. That's, that's the reality of how it goes. So I want to finish, if I may, with, with a prayer. They, I know they want me to finish on time to make sure you guys all get into the next main room for the next session, which is in seven minutes. So I'm going to pray quickly. And I want to pray, this is a prayer from, um, from Matthew's Gospel. This is great. And this is, um, this is a message from Jesus, and I think it's a message to us here today, and I think it's a message that we can take out to other people as well. And he says this, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. So I'm just going to pray for us all. Father God, I praise you that in this room we are a room of passionate people. And I praise you for the drive that you have placed within so many of us. And I just want to pray, take the time to pray this verse over people's lives today. For the people here now and the people who are listening later on. I pray for people here and elsewhere who are tired, who are worn out, who are struggling with the demands. Maybe of their life, of their work, maybe of their faith and religion or church. And I pray, Lord, that through connecting with you, they will rediscover life the way you intended it to be. And Father, I pray that we would understand that sense of the unforced rhythms of grace, that people through spending time with you would learn more about the way you intended things to be. And Father, I just pray your healing hand upon each and every person in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Um, do check out the book. It's on one of the books. <laughs> if you really want my signature. I think the other Kate Middleton's would be worth more, but, you know. Yeah. Feel free to have mine if you want it later. And do get to the next session, because otherwise I'll get into trouble. Thank you. 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 Thank you.